From Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York, I'm Amber Smith. This is HealthLink on Air. Kidney transplants from living donors have helped ease a shortage of donor kidneys across the nation and here in central New York. With me to talk about living donor kidney transplants is Dr. Reza Saidi. He's an associate professor of surgery at Upstate and the chief of transplant services. Welcome to HealthLink on Air, Dr. Saidi. Thank you, Amber. Glad to be here. Upstate University Hospital has done more than 1,000 deceased donor transplants, but also some 400 transplants from living donors. Are these transplants mostly among family members or people who know each other? I think uh, it's interesting. Majority, about 60% of the uh, living donors that we do are living unrelated. And these are the uh, patients uh, among uh, uh, people that knew each other from work or from school, they come donate. And about the other 40%, I would say they're family member and uh, that they come forward to donate. And then a small percentage that that donors are altruistic. They just come forward to donate to basically whoever is on our list waiting kidney transplant. So they call that the non-directed donation when it's altruistic and you don't have a person in mind, but you want to donate your kidney to somebody? That's correct. Okay. And then among family members, is it usually, it's blood-related family? Or are you talking yes. about like spouses that, that aren't blood-related, but are family? Well, spouses uh, too, but the majority of them are just blood-related. I see. Well, who can be a living donor? Are there age requirements? No, there is no age requirement. You know, anybody can be a living donor, but uh, we have to work them up and make sure, number one, they're compatible with that recipient. Uh, the main thing is uh, blood type, and also make sure they uh, have a normal kidney function, they're healthy, they don't have comorbidities, uh, that they put them in higher risk, that, that they, they might develop uh, kidney disease themselves. But anybody can be a donor, but it's a process and, uh, and that they have to go through and make sure they're a good match for their intended recipient. So they have to be in general good health. What about someone with a cancer history? Are they able to donate? Yeah, if it's a remote cancer history, they can donate. And also it depends on the type of cancer and what this, what was the stage of the cancer. For example, somebody have a stage one colon cancer and have surgery, usually that considered cure and they can donate. Or somebody have breast cancer at early stage had treatment that considered cure, they can donate. But if somebody have active cancer, they cannot do it because they always risk of their cancer cells can spread to a recipient. And because the, after transplant surgery, the recipient are heavily immunosuppressed to prevent the rejection, those cancer cells can grow. And that's, hap that's what happened in the past, that uh, the transmission can happen. That's why we do extensive uh, also cancer screening on the donors to pick up any potential cancer. Are COVID infections complicating whether someone can be a donor or a recipient? Uh, yes and no. If they're in active phase of COVID, obviously they cannot be donor or recipient. But if they recover from COVID, usually we wait for about a month. If they recover from COVID and they is now asymptomatic, they can be donor or they can be a recipient of a kidney transplant. Now, what if a person who's willing to donate has a loved one in their family who has kidney disease? 
would you advise that person to wait and save their kidney just in case that relative might need it later on? Actually, it, it, that's a good question. There are a couple options, actually. The one thing that we do here, actually, at upstate, we can give a voucher. They said, if you donate your kidney today, and for example, your loved one in 10 years needs a kidney transplant, you can use that person can use that voucher to get kidney transplanted down the road. So it, it moves them up on the waiting list? Yes. Oh, somebody, I see. Yes, yes. Somebody uh, have donated their kidney and they, they have the, that voucher, they move up on the uh, donor list to get transplanted. That's or you can go on one of these uh, per donation swaps. Now, if a person is trying to donate to a particular person, say a spouse or a coworker, but tests show that they would not be a good match, are there other options? Yeah, there are a couple of options. The best option is this uh, paired donation. What is a paired donation? Paired donation means that when your, your donor is not compatible with you and somebody else donor is not compatible with that person, but that person donor is maybe is compatible with you, we can swap the donors, basically. Person, person A donor donates to person B and person B donate, donor donates to person A. They can swap the donors. Then there's a national program for that. They can go on that program. And sometimes there are 80 of these chains going at the same time and 80 patients get transplanted. That's one option. The other option uh, that also we uh, try to offer here called desensitization. And if it's something that, uh, for example, they have a lot of antibody against that donor, you can remove that antibody and do a transplant. There are multiple options uh, in the case that uh, the donor, potential donor is not a match for recipient. So if I don't have, if I'm not a great match, you might be able to do something to make me a, a, a decent match, or I might be able to get into sort of a, a swapping uh, position where I can swap my kidney for, to someone who has a person who will give their kidney to the person I'm trying to match with. That's it gets correct. a little confusing. <laughs> That's correct, but I wanna make sure that uh, our listeners understand there are a lot, if their donor, their donor is not a match, there's a lot of options that we can offer them. This is Upstate's HealthLink on Air. I'm your host, Amber Smith, talking with Dr. Reza Saidi, the Chief of Transplant Services at Upstate University Hospital in Syracuse. Now, let me ask you from the surgeon's point of view, how do the uh, operations differ when it's a living donor versus a deceased donor? Is there a difference in how you do the operations? Yeah, there's a very different. You know, the, the good thing about the living donor is a scheduled surgery. And basically, we coordinate that uh, as soon as the kidney comes out of the donor, we usually have the recipient re ready that the kidney goes in the recipient. That, that's why the time that the kidney is out of body, we let the blood flow is very small in a matter of minutes. And that's why this kidney works right away. And uh, the success of living donation is always much higher than the disease donor. Uh, and uh, the other thing is, but the surgery is a little bit more challenging because the vessels are usually a little bit smaller than, than the kidney that we get from cadaver or a disease zone. And the surgery is more tedious, but the success is much higher in living donor because, as I said, the kidney is out of body, and usually this kidney work right away. And uh, in long term, these kidneys last much longer than the kidney come from a disease zone. 
So if you had your choice, a living donor is going to be the better option for someone absolutely, who needs a kidney. Absolutely. Uh, I always tell my patient, if you have a living donor, that's your best option. Because the other good thing about living donor, they don't have to wait. Because for disease donor, currently there are about 120,000 patients on the wait list to receive a disease donor transplant. And uh, average wait time in this country is about five, six years to receive those. And waiting that long, sometimes people become too sick that they're not candidate for transplant anymore. I and see. That's why the living donor is always the best option. And if you've carefully selected a donor who's healthy, uh, they're able to live with a single kidney after yes, they've donated? Yeah, actually, that's a very good question. And uh, a lot of my donors ask me or my, my patient asked me if somebody or my spouse or my uh, children donate to me, what's going to happen with them? And this has studied, been studied for the past, I would say, 60 years. And people who donate their kidney, are, they're not at increased risk to develop high blood pressure or diabetes or cancer compared to the normal population. That's good to know. Let me ask you, during a living donor transplant, is there one surgeon for the donor and one surgeon for the recipient, or do yes. you work together? Yeah. How does that? Yeah, it, we have two separate teams, basically. One surgeon completely devotes his time to uh, uh, donor surgery, and another surgeon devotes his time completely at, to the recipient surgery. We have two different teams. But we coordinate that, that the, the time that the kid is out of body is small, short, and as soon as the kidney come out, we make sure that recipient are ready that they can receive the kidney. How long does each operation usually take? And then the donor surgery takes about, I would say, about two, three hours, and we do it laparoscopically with small holes. And the recipient surgery takes also, I would say, a little bit longer, maybe three, four hours to do the recipient surgery. Now, does the recipient also, uh, is that done laparoscopically with small incisions or not? No, actually, currently we're doing open, but we also in progress uh, process to develop a call, we call it a robotic kidney transplant. That, that done laparoscopically with the help of robot. That has, I think it's a, a, a new uh, innovative thing to do kidney transplant. And we also in process to implement that program uh, here at Upstate. Now, when you implant the new kidney into the recipient, do you remove both of their diseased kidneys? No, no, there is no need to do that because uh, the kidneys are in, on your back and the, uh, the new kidney is going to go in your pelvis. And there is no need to remove the, the old kidneys because the old kidneys are not functioning and usually they're small. And we rarely, unless that there's, a, for example, some people have polycystic kidney, they're, they're very big. And there's no room for the new put the new kidney. We have to remove it, but that happened rarely. But the majority of cases, I would say that we do not have to remove patient own kidneys. Well, what do you say to the recipient about what to expect from the surgery and recovery? How soon does the new kidney start functioning? For instance, it all depends. It depends. As I say, for example, in the case of living donor, a ninety-nine percent of time works right away. But in case of disease donor, because this kidney it's been out of body if usually for a couple of hours, the kidney might not work right away. But majority of this kidney work in couple, I would say couple hours or couple of days after transplant. And depends on how soon the kidney works, that's gonna dictate the recovery of the recipient. 
If the kidney works in a couple of hours or a day or so, usually this patient stay in the hospital for four, four or five days and then go home. And usually the full recovery is about three, four weeks after transplant. And best case scenario, how long will that new kidney last? Will that it depends on the quality of the kidney. If it's from living donor, usually 50% of these kidneys go beyond 15 years. Of course, mm-hmm. half of these kidneys 50 years. I mean that by by 15 years, still half of them are still working. If it's disease donor, in average, I would say it's 10 years. But again, it depends on quality of the kidney. This kidney came from a young person, an old person, but over years we can we have accumulated a lot of data, and based on all that data points, we can tell that how long each specific kidney is gonna last for the patient. So if someone had a kidney transplant once, could they later on 10 or 15 or 20 years from then be a candidate for another transplant in the future? Yes, if the kidney fails, usually we can do retransplant on that patient. And I've seen patients that actually have, uh, the, I think the highest I've done is the fifth kidney transplant in a patient. Because now their technique is better, the medication are better, this kidney lasts longer, people live longer, about 20, 30% of our cases that we do are all retransplants. Interesting. Well, I know you've published some research about the shortage of organs in America. Do you have suggestions for how to increase the number of kidney donors? You know, uh, as I said, organ shortage is a uh, major problem uh, for uh, progress in transplant. And there are different, uh, wide variety actually approaches uh, proposed one is basically make sure people understand the concept of donation basically after they die. There are two types of donors that we get uh, kidneys or other organs. One is the donors who are brain dead. For example, somebody in a car accident or have a head bleeding or have a stroke and they became brain dead, they can donate. It's called donation of a brain death that's been around for many, many time, years, I would say, or decades. There's also another thing that we do now called donation after cardiac death. These are the patients who are not brain dead, but they have significant damage to their brain that there's, uh, they would not have a reasonable quality of life, even if they live. And based on patient previous wishes or the family, they decide they want to be drug care and they want to they don't want to prolong the patient's suffering. And usually if that, because they're not brain dead, we cannot recover their organs under the, unless their heart and lung stops. And what happened when the family decides to withdraw care, if that donor dies, usually within one hour, we can rush to the OR and remove their organ. That's called donation after cardiac death. That's one proposal to increase donation. The other thing we also, uh, uh, accept donors from a high-risk patient, for example, patient with hepatitis, because now hepatitis mm-hmm. B and C is easily treatable. And if donors have hepatitis, we can accept those kidneys uh, to increase donation. The other thing is basically increase awareness about the donation, that people understand that, be educated that they, if they can donate their kidney to a loved one, or even a, a strange person, they're not at increased risk of kidney disease or high blood pressure or uh, diabetes, but this, we have to do a lot of, I think, public education about donation. And uh, by that, we can increase the number of 
kidney transplant. It's interesting to know last year, despite the, even the COVID, the number of disease donation in this country went up. Interesting. We have to do a lot of education, the family, and make sure they understand the concept of brain death, the, the concept of donation after the cardiac death. And uh, as people said, uh, heaven doesn't need these organs. We do need them here. Well, this has been very informative. Thank you to Dr. Reza Saidi. He's an associate professor of surgery at Upstate and the chief of transplant services. I'm Amber Smith for Upstate's podcast and radio talk show, HealthLink on Air.